Welcome to Gu Dao Jingxing, Walking the Timeless Way, a podcast that digs deeply into the ancient texts of Taoism to uncover its timeless wisdom and discuss how to apply it to today's chaotic world. I'm David Wang, Executive Coach. I'm joined by my co-host Ian Felton, practicing psychotherapist. Hi, Ian. Good to see hey, you, David. Yeah, it's good to see you too. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, and looking forward to today's conversation. Well, as always, uh, at the beginning uh, of our conversation, I wonder if you can share with our listeners the walking the timeless way moment over the past week. This one was. Pretty interesting to me. I was lying in bed. It was early morning, and as has become kind of a routine, quite early, I felt these little chewing on my fingertip, and it was just like a very gentle、mm -hmm. chewing. I mean, it didn't hurt. It wasn't harsh. It was just this little slight. Chewing ever so gentle on my fingertip, but it was enough to wake me up. And I opened my eyes, and I saw my cat there, and she's just giving me these gentle little bites. And I was thinking about how Dow works in that way. That you know, here's this little cat, and I'm obviously much bigger, and in relationship to it, I have all of this power, and it was able to use this very soft, slight power to get its needs met, to elicit something from the environment that it needed. Which, in this case, it it wanted me to get up and hopefully give it some. Food, but also just kind of be awake and protecting the the den, if you will. And in that moment, it just made me really reflect again, just how the softest, tiniest little force can be used. That it's not necessary most of the time to use. Hard force that that soft force much of the time is more effective. Wow, it just it, it's like the power of gentleness or the power of softness. Usually, we associate、mm. power with something else, but in gentleness, there's such tremendous power. Exactly. It just reminds me of so many. Those gentle or soft things, you know. When when you mentioned earlier that, you know, as you kind of in the early morning, sometimes I remember, you know, the chirping of the birds outside of my my room, and、uh, when I walk down the lake、uh, for the morning exercise, you know, the, I think the there's whole. Feeling of gentleness around me, you know, like sometimes the 
Misty Lake or the the um, I would say the gentleness of the morning sunlight. Yeah, I think that most people prefer gentleness. That most people, and even the forests, and like you were saying, the the lake. That generally, when you're there, I think gentleness is pervasive. It's rare that you, when you step out of civilization and all of the noise of the machines that are, you know, mm -hmm. clearly not what we would typically consider um, in harmony with Tao, even though machines are part of Tao, everything is part of Tao. And so we have to also recognize that, but that generally there is the spirit of, of gentleness and that seems to be the dominant force when we are, you know, if you go to a, a state park and mm -hmm. are out in the wilderness where there's not people, I mean, it's so quiet generally. Yeah. And that peacefulness is everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for uh, sharing with us, uh, you know, your walking the timeless way moment. And, uh, you know, we'll continue to um, uh, talk about this uh, in the context of uh, the main talk, topic for today's podcast, uh, which is Sheng Ren. Uh, this is uh, one of the most important uh, concepts, I would say, in Chinese uh, philosophy. Uh, not only Taoists talked about it, you know, Confucianists, Moists, Legalists, they all talked about Sheng Ren. So it's a very, very interesting idea that uh, we hope that we'll share uh, with each other and also share with our listeners. Looking forward to it. Um, so we've been reading Dao uh, De Jing, and in Dao De Jing, uh, Lao Zi mentioned Sheng Ren, you know, probably, you know, 31 times in about 25 chapters. Wow. So you can tell that it's a very important idea, uh, you know, he had in mind. Do you, you know, we, yeah, we, we've been reading uh, Tao Te Ching for a while now. Uh, you know, from the text you read, can you kind of give us an overview what Shen Ren is uh, to Lao Zi and what Shen Ren you know, feels like and, you know, looks like and behaves like? I definitely can do that. So you've already talked a little bit about that Sheng Ren is not exclusive to Taoism, but there are important distinctions that make the Taoist version of Sheng Ren unique and not replicated in any of the other Chinese philosophy, mm -hmm. that it still has special characteristics in, in Taoism. So the, the Confucian one, or I'll say the, the, the commonalities are around a person who their main focus in life is cultivating wisdom and virtue. Mm -hmm. The, the distinctions are 
um, kind of, you know, around well, what is wisdom and virtue, those are pretty abstract concepts. And so how you contain those or define those, there's a lot of different ways to apply that. So the Confucian way is very much more about within the context just of human society. And I actually think that that concept of Shungrin is very important. I do. Mm -hmm. I think that, um, you know, it's not, it has a lot of value, it has a lot of use. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If someone took that approach and just cultivated it in that way, you know, I, I, I can see that seems also like a very, very good approach to take. The difference with Shungren and Taoism is that rather than just limiting it to within human society, it goes beyond and says, well, you're really cultivating wisdom and virtue in a way that you're aligning yourself with Tao, which is the flow of, let's just say, the, the universal consciousness as it manifests in everything, not just in human society, mm -hmm. but in nature and the seasons and the water and the air and in relationship to everything. So it's broader. It's broader. Mm -hmm. And um, in, in this chapter, we, we um, do kind of understand or, or get some more insight from Lao Tzu mm -hmm. on what are these qualities of a Shangren and and I'll, I'm going to say that there's eight of them based upon mm -hmm. my um, understanding of this chapter. And um, is it okay if I kind of say what what I think those eight characteristics of the Taoist Shangren are? Sure, it will be very helpful to share with our listeners. You know some of those. Okay, so the. The first one is, is subtlety and mastery. And so um, the Shangren does go, tries to go beyond ordinary kind of day-to-day -day comprehension of life, you know, like the human level, like the Confucian level. Mm -hmm. And they're trying to go into the nature of existence beyond just the ordinary. They're also very cautious. So they approach life with caution and care and are very, um, you could say mindfulness would be uh, uh, something that a Shangren, a Taoist Shangren cultivates because they're paying attention to the tiniest of little details of consciousness. Mm -hmm. And of course, it's our consciousness that is our interaction with Tao. Mm -hmm. Like we interact with Tao through our consciousness. And so paying very, very careful attention to that, which leads into the second one, alertness, or I guess this is the third one, but um, very vigilant and attentive. Mm -hmm. They're, they're polite and humble. This is the part where they, they're, they treat um, the situation like they're a guest. So that politeness is um, present, that humility and respect of, whatever situation they're in, they're yielding and adaptable. So they're flexible. This is the part of like ice melting, you know, ice melting is not rigid. They just kind of flow with the, with the 
the changes that are happening and the circumstances of life. Mm -hmm. Simplicity. So the Shangren aims to just be natural. This is the part where it's talking about being like uncarved wood. There's no pretentiousness there. You're not going to see a Shangren trying to be fashionable or keep up with trends because mm -hmm. that's just a contrived thing. Openness. So this is the part of having an open mind like uh, like a valley. You're not rejecting things. Being open to whatever rolls into that valley can come in. It doesn't reject things through prejudice or rigid beliefs about how things should be knowing that everything is a manifestation of Tao. Mm -hmm. And then obscurity, this is the part we're talking about the Shangren are kind of like muddy, like water that we can't necessarily see everything that's there, that the, the depth of the wisdom and um, inner world is so unlike the normal everyday human consciousness that it's not going to be easily understood mm -hmm. at, at a superficial level. So those are kind of the the characteristics of the Shungren that, that Lao Tzu really wants us to try to um, understand. Mm -hmm. And this particular chapter, which uh, is chapter, you know, 15, we just uh, studied, uh, you know, has all that uh, characteristic uh, together. But throughout the Tao Te Ching, uh, you know, there are recurring themes, re uh, recurring uh, references to these characteristics. Do you remember any of these in other chapters talking about uh, Shangren? Yeah, I think um, that the, the um, around subtlety, um, maybe someday I'll, I will have the all 81 chapters memorized in my head. I don't know if that's necessary or not, but maybe that would be something to aspire to. But discernment is a theme that we've talked about before, and I think that one really is a key one that the Shangren um, cares about a lot. Mm -hmm. So that attention to detail, discernment, um, that is going to be um, important. There's also metaphors around how the ocean receives every river. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. In, in, in chapter 15, Lao Tzu talks about open like a valley, mm -hmm. but equally there's a theme in another chapter that talks about how an, the ocean is so deep that any river or tributary that wants to flow into it can because the ocean doesn't reject anything. It has that openness and it's so deep that it permits it. It, it doesn't say, oh, hey, you river over here. Mm -hmm. I don't like you. You can't connect with me. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter. Everything's allowed to, to flow into it. It doesn't reject anything. Mm -hmm. So I think those themes are pretty common. Um, of course, the humility in the three treasures, we talk about uh, or just compassion, and that shows up. I don't think is, is a character in this chapter. It might be, but mm -hmm. um, but we but certainly being like a guest. Yeah, 
Yes. Is that, that humble, kind, compassionate way of being is, an, is a theme that, that we run into in Tao Te Ching and, and other chapters. So, you know, these are reiterated throughout the book. They're, they're not just in this chapter and nowhere else. You know, they're, they're really emphasized. Right, right. You know, when, when I hear you talked about these nuances, you know, I think about the English translation for Sheng Ren. You know, one of the reasons we keep on using Sheng Ren in this podcast instead of sages or the wise ones, because, you know, there are a lot of uh, nuances in the Chinese concept of Sheng Ren than the sage mm. we think about in the uh, Western context. Um, what are those nuances? I'd like to understand that. Well, you know, through when you think about it, the Sheng Ren is a concept that at its very core is about the, the very highest uh, potential a human being, an individual can achieve. In other words, the ideal person in a society or culture. Uh, you know, so from that perspective, you know, Sheng Ren, uh, even if it wasn't used as a, as, you know, use that word, but it was in the Western culture, all the way back to Plato about philosopher King. And then later on, you know, during the, uh, uh, you know, uh, during the uh, Renaissance era, you know, people talked about it, you know, from more from um, uh, artistic uh, perspective or, or the arts and science, right? The Renaissance man, and then Nietzsche's, uh, Nietzsche's uh, overman, or the Maslow's self-actualizing man, you know, things are like that. I think it's all mm -hmm. human attempts to understand what that ideal is to be human, especially in today, I think, you know, it's also raises new question in our era of, you know, uh, you know, chat GPT, the AI, what is it to be human? I think uh, it's been an effort throughout human history and different human, a different culture to understand that ideal person. Yeah, I think that's a, a, it makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I think fundamentally what it means to be human, we, we recognize that we have this ability to cultivate characteristics based upon symbolic thinking, you know, understanding that we can create a concept like mm -hmm compassion and then say oh that that helps society when people are more empathetic and compassionate so let's teach that let's try to spread that throughout society and of course shungren are people who model these ideal characteristics so that society can flourish so that people as a species have better lives with less suffering mm -hmm. where animals I think they can do that too. They model behavior non-verbally, just, just like when the cat gently bit my finger, it was using gentleness. It, it, it didn't have a word to say, hey, I'm gonna be gentle, but that knowledge is embodied in their whole 
I mean, it's embodied, so they don't need words for it. They show it through those actions. So the difference with people is that we can communicate that in words and spread it that way. And I do think that really what we're talking about in this era of artificial intelligence is, again, how are we going to wield this power? Are we going to wield it to improve human society in a, a deep, embodied way or is it going to be used to just profit for a few people at the expense of everyone else that's a great question i think that's a great point uh human ability uh through abstract and symbolic thinking you know from very early on they were able to uh uh, you know, to come up with these concepts, right? Articulate them and also spread them. I think that's amazing. You know, there's the beauty of it. And, you know, as we study Taoism, uh, Taoism, you know, Lao Tzu was aware very early and later Zhuangzi aware early on that once you start to turn into a certain kind of codified behaviors and virtues, hypocrisy, you know, came up. Uh, you know, during that time, it was, was a, some criticism against uh, Confucianism, you know, like a Ren and Yi, you know, like, a, uh, you know, benevolence and uh, righteousness, all those things uh, at the very beginning, you know, were, um, I think, were, were comprehended, I would say, innocently. Uh, you know, just very spontaneously uh, in our human heart. Uh, you know, then through teaching, so th there was teaching, but then they somehow turned into doctrines and then turned into ideologies and then turned into weapons of the ruling class. So, wow. so that's the kind of the interesting I would say the dichotomy or tension in things like that throughout human history. So how do you, you know, you, you cannot, as humans, we rely on symbolic technologies like language. But at the same time, once you use that without being aware of its limitations, it can be corrupted or perverted into something else. Yeah, I think, you know, we if we think in parallel, comparing symbolic thinking, which, you know, it, it, it certainly is unique in the sense that, you know, we've put rockets into space and mm -hmm. there's, you know, rovers on other planets and that sort of thing. But even language, what language does is it creates a vibration in air. When, when I speak, my vocal cords vibrate. That changes the molecules vibration in the air. Your eardrums hear that change in vibration, which again, that's a physical thing happening in your ear. And then that sends signals to parts of your brain, which then are, it's a chemical reaction that it's triggering um, neural networks in your brain 
that lets you become aware of something. Mm -hmm. Like that's what's going on. That's a chemical reaction. Ant colonies do the same thing. They have a colony and there is the queen at the top and the whole colony works for the queen. So, and what they do, the ants, when they pass each other, they, they will rub their mandibles on each other. And what they're doing is exchanging chemicals. And it's those chemicals that's creating a chemical reaction that's signaling to the ants what they need to do. And so from that standpoint, this isn't unique in nature. Ants are doing the same thing, obviously, because of their um, the structure of their nervous system and the structure of their physical bodies. They can't put ants into space, but the fundamental thing that's happening is the same. It's just they're they're, they're creating a society based upon chemical reactions that they elicit mm -hmm. in each other. Mm -hmm. Now in the ant, it's the queen at the top that everybody else is working for and um, everybody who's working is doing it to protect the queen because she can lay the eggs and keep the colony going. So, you know, nature doesn't necessarily, it's not against a total we could call it a dictatorship that, you know, here's a, if we want to talk, if we want to apply a political system to the ants, I mean, it's a dictatorship. Everybody's got to do whatever signals are coming from the queen and whatever she needs, like everybody's going to fall in line and, and do what's necessary. And so when we're talking about human society, clearly we're, we're not ants and we have different capacities, but there has been societies throughout time that they kind of do resemble that. I mean, if you look at um, dictatorships and, and hierarchies and, and civilization, power has been used so that, you know, those at the top are giving commands and then every human in that society has to fall in line and to see those orders out. So when you're talking about chat GPT and, and, you know, we're talking about how is that power going to be used? What would a Shungren, if a Shungren was in charge of that, or if there were multiple Shungren involved, how do you think that they would want that power to be used? Well, before we answer that question, I think it's a very, uh, very uh, intriguing question. Uh, you know, I, I realize that we digress a little bit. Uh, let's get back to the original question you had regarding the notion of sage, let's say in the Western sense and the uh, shengren. Uh, I think the one thing I would point out is probably every um, philosophy, uh, maybe in the West, uh, and maybe in China too, I think um, when you compare that with the Taoist Shengren, I think the key thing might be, you know, because as humans, we need to have, in order to operationalize an ideal or 
the acknowledge the existence of ideal, we have to uh, lay out, you know, what are the key characteristics? I mean, even in Dao De Jing, as you, you just laid out, and Lao Tzu kept on saying, you know, it's hard to describe, it's beyond description, but if, if I'm forced to, let me give you eight or seven or eight characteristics, right? But I think throughout, you can say that, uh, you can say that the Taoism, um, you know, just like a Tao itself, uh, you know, we cannot use, we, we use pointers to help, you know, us understand what it might look like. Uh, so if I compare that with the other, you know, sages or the, the role models in our society, usually, you know, you tend to give a list of things or you point to the individual and say, that's it, that's it, the, our role model. So I, I think in Taoism, the distinguishing maybe characteristic is that uh, openness, right? Instead of like pinpointing, uh, uh, you know, this is exactly, you should act like that, or you shouldn't act like that. Like in the, let's say in the Bible, right? The 10 commandments, uh, things like that. I, I think there's some beauty in it because it creates uh, it leaves room for diversity and it creates uh, lots of possibility. It's a creative process as opposed to, you know, laying out all these characteristics and or create a, a one, you know, monolithic, like a role model for all of us. Yeah, it makes sense because we know that Taoism is all about constant change mm -hmm. and in, in Tao, we're less concerned about time because time is sort of this arbitrary construct and more just about how change is constantly happening. And so when you're dogmatic with things, you're not able to change when, when you need to because times have changed so significantly that when you spell things out too much, it doesn't work anymore after a period of time. So that's one of the great things about the Shangren of Tao is mm -hmm. that it really seems to be timeless that you can apply these, no matter how much society changes, no matter how much technology changes, no matter how much things change, Lao Tzu seems to have understood that, that he created enough space in his elucidation of Shangren mm -hmm. that it's still, it's not dated. I totally agree. So back to your early uh, point, um, it seems to me that uh, Taoism is not against, you know, hierarchy. Maybe there's a time that hierarchy is need, needed to sort things out, you know, to bring order to things, right? Uh, but you cannot make it a doctrine of hierarchy and say everything needs to be uh, created or to in the in a more uh, authoritarian or dictatorial way, right? And same thing about I would say about the freedom because when we talked about freedom in today's culture, it's all about you know indulging uh, your desires, right? Pursuing your a lot of your uh, desires. While freedom, you know, in Taoist sense, is more not to be enslaved 
by your desires. Uh, you know, you have, you know, choose to, um, you know, to be simple, right? As opposed to, um, you know, filling all the holes in life with all these assumptions, uh, the consumptions. So that is, seems to be very also interesting, a, a different notion of freedom or different notion of hierarchy in our modern thinking. I agree 100% that freedom isn't the freedom to have every wish and desire fulfilled because that, and, and this is predicated upon our own biology, that we know the reward system in the brain, the, the, the part that gives us serotonin, dopamine, mm -hmm. oxytocin, all of the feeling good things in our head, that reward system wears out. And if you keep trying to repeat a high, you need more and more of whatever that was to replicate it and you burn it out. And then that's where you have people who they've got to do crazy things just to not suffer immense suffering. And so that certainly is not freedom. Mm -hmm. And so this is where you have to ground your philosophy in biology. And I think that's an ongoing struggle for um, societies everywhere that because of our ability to think symbolically, mm -hmm. People can come up with these utopian fantasies and these um, philosophies that sound wonderful, but when the rubber hits the road and we're talking about biological organisms, mm -hmm. it just doesn't translate. And so the, the freedom and, and Taoism is a lot more aligned with our biological structure. Instead of the freedom to have every wish fulfilled, it's the freedom mm -hmm. to not be controlled by externals to understand we're not in control of Tao. We, we, we can harmonize with Tao, which means harmonizing with the moment from without being worried about our ego and our desires and what we want and insisting upon mm -hmm. our way. Biologically, that makes a lot more sense. I mean, even in modern psychology, third wave cognitive behavioral approaches, psychological flexibilities at the core. I mean, psychological flexibility wasn't invented by third wave cognitive behavioral approaches, but it's central to it because that's what we've realized after all of our research that, hey, the more psychologically flexible that people are, the less that they suffer. Mm -hmm. Oh, gee, who, who also said that? Well, Lao Tzu said that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a great point. Uh, I was wondering if you look at today's leaders, they tend to coddle, you know, or cater to these, uh, the so-called our, you know, all our wishes and wants, right? Uh, mm -hmm. What would be a Shengren like, uh, you know, let's say that who are in these leadership position, how would they do differently? Just based on the point you just made, would, you know, where they understand our natural, you know, our, our 
you know, our, our, our nature better, you know, our natural, the biological basis better in order to, uh, in order to govern as opposed to uh, exploit or capitalize on these, you know, those wishes and to get to win and get votes. Definitely. I'm glad you brought that up because that was actually on my mind before we started recording. I was thinking about exactly that thing, how mm -hmm. the virtue of politicians seems to be um, focusing on what's politically viable, politically correct, politically. Or what's popular in our culture, right? That's what I'm exactly what 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 the base responds to, which the problem with that is, is that it creates division and that division keeps growing. Mm -hmm. And and then instead of wisdom and virtue, we're cultivating. Um, I'm saying politically correct, not in the mm -hmm. um, the way that maybe it's just pointed at, like, you know, virtue signaling or the way that you speak, but politically correct for who your base is. So that could be on the right. Mm -hmm. It could be saying it's politically correct to, you know, poke fun at woke corporations. That's politically correct. If you speak that way on the left, it could be, you know, talking, you know, more how generally political correctness is used, which is in the context of social justice. So, but the point is, is that when politicians are just focused on what's politi politically correct instead of what's actually wise and virtuous and what society needs, we don't have harmony in our society. We don't have solutions. We just have what I think most people actually see, which is a bunch of frauds who are just concerned about political power and their own position in that system rather than actually solving the problems the way that they need to be solved. Because what we know is, is that societal problems are complex, they're nuanced, and a Shungren is going to see the complexity, the subtleties, the multimodal approaches that are necessary to take something on. So let's take something like illicit drug use, for example. Someone who is a politician with the Republican Party name, maybe they're going to say, you know, we need bigger police forces, we need to be tougher on the criminals, etc. And, you know, a lot of the people might support that who are in their party. On the Democrat side, maybe they say, you know, we need um, more mental health care system, mm -hmm. We need um, harm reduction strategies, but at the same time, say, you know, like attacking a law enforcement uh, approach. Well, the reality is, is that we need a combination of approaches for something that's that complex and that nuanced, but because our politicians aren't Shungren, they're pandering to the base for political points, we don't actually get complete solutions to anything where, you know, the reality is when it comes to illicit drug use, we need mental health treatment, we need to address social inequality, but we also need enforcement strategies. We need 
people, I mean, there are bad people out there doing bad things and you need strong law enforcement to deal with those people. So it requires a complex solution that draws upon ideas from, at least in the US, both political parties, but without a Shungren, nothing gets done because it's this fight, it's, it's an either or instead of a both and. Well, as you're talking about this, you know, I immediately thought about the, the, the um, you know, place, uh, uh, Plato. You know, he, he talked about a society, uh, you know, organized by, you know, different groups of people. You know, some people are the, uh, the warriors and some are the, uh, you know, are the business class, the business people, right? pro, 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 provide mm-hmm. scholars. scholars and yeah. yeah. And then the uh, philosopher king. But a lot of people talked about, oh, that sounds very totalitarian. And, uh, you know, some people argue that, you know, a lot of the totalitarian idea came from Plato because Plato as a, you know, um, coming from aristocracy, you know, really against the the Athenians, you know, uh, democracy. So I can see similar argument can come up today in the American society and saying, and, and I remember when I was studying political science at Harvard, you know, the one key idea about the uniqueness or exceptionalism of the uh, American society is it's a marketplace of ideas. Uh, in the 90s, I thought, oh, that's that's a great idea because coming from uh, a- another culture, you know, I can certainly see that pluralistic nature uh, of society, right? Because you have, you, you, you kind of fight it out. You fight it out and then all different ideas and people seem to have an equal chance of fighting it out. Uh, but just based on what you're just sharing, uh, maybe something, you know, I can still see the merit of having that opportunity to voice our desires and our different opinions. Uh, because, you know, let's say another society, somebody, uh, you know, uh, pretends or claims that he or she is Sheng Ren, and then quiet everybody. I don't think in our modern era, at, at this stage of human civilization, that is valid because that's one person saying, I know everything, I know better than everybody else, your desire. So that's why I think there's the validity in democracy uh, that we do want to give people the chance uh, to voice out their desires. But at the same time, how can we mitigate it that in a way that politicians are not just like babysitting everybody or or not even babysitting, I would say exploiting everybody's uh, uh, desires and not do what's necessary. I I see that as almost as a, a dilemma for a democracy like this. You want to give people the, you, you don't want to create a totalitarian society in the sense that one person think he's all wise, he's God, right? But at the same mm-hmm. time, you don't want to create a chaos and let people just you know, losing common sense or judgment. 
and do what's right, yeah. what the moment requires for the nation. Yeah, so I have two main trains of thought to react to that. The, the first one is that Shangren doesn't put themselves first. I mean, Lao Tzu talks about that, mm -hmm. that, you know, that's one of the three treasures, don't put yourself first. So anyone who's coming out and saying like, hey, everybody should do exactly what I say because I'm Shangren, it's like, well, they're automatically not what Lao Tzu is talking about. Um, so, and we also know that Shangren, one of their um, main strengths is how much attention they're paying to the environment. And of course, other people's ideas and opinions in modern society, that's a key part of the environment that in a society that's linguistic in a society where it's thoughts and ideas that are primary and determine what laws are made. I mean, laws are just thoughts. You have to be listening keenly and very detailed to the environment. So what we actually need then is more Shungren. Um, the more Shungren that we have, the better it is for society. So we don't need one Shungren. We need thousands and hundreds of thousands of Shungren. So I would even say, you know, we talk about ourselves as, I mean, we are a 501c3 nonprofit organization that's about sharing Taoist ideas with society, you know, let's say 10 years from now, this organization has grown and there's people who are members and we're all sharing our ideas. I think it would make sense just even in the context of, um, you know, in the, the Christian order that you, you get ordained, I think it makes sense even within Taoism that, you know, we, we need, whether you call it ordained Shangren or, or whatever it is, but we need hundreds of thousands of Shangren to be focused on cultivating these qualities in their local environment. So, you know, every town and city needs, needs Shangren. And, and obviously the bigger the city the more Shangren are needed because you need to represent your particular niche of that society. And so Shangren's not about, it's not like the Highlander where there can only be one. It's that you have to scale those Shangren. I mean, as, as, as big as the population is, you need enough Shangren who are, and really what we're talking about is just people cultivating these virtues to try to maintain the social fabric, to try to maintain harmony. And so all of that is important. So, you know, maybe that's something that if, if um, more people are, are interested, that that's even something that we could um, talk about doing and helping people to become, um, Shangren and, and more of a, a, like a path. So that's my first uh, train of thought on that. Um, the, the other train of thought is that as far as becoming God, I think that's actually really important because if you, I had this idea 
um, you know, if, if you had some realization that you were God, how would you treat life and, and the things that you encountered? And I think Lao Tzu, what he talks about, I think makes a lot of sense, which is that that's what Wu Wei is all about. If you have so much power that you can create and destroy universes, you have to be very careful with that power. And you wouldn't just go like thrashing around because you could destroy so many things so easily. And so it's, it's really cultivating that deep humility and respect that if you are God, so is everything else. And you want to treat everything that you encounter as if it's God as well. And I don't think that's unique to Taoism. I think, um, I haven't studied Hinduism a lot, but I think that's kind of what they're saying. Like God takes all kinds of manifestations in every form. That's why there's you know, thousands of gods because it's revealed in everything. And so that deep humility is, I want to do the opposite of wielding my power. I want to not interfere with things because everything is God and treat it with respect, gentleness, and kindness. Well, that's a very interesting thought. If somebody were a God, that means that person does not have a sense of insecurity or inadequacy. Wouldn't you say that, right? Because there's a feeling of wholeness in, in God. So a lot of our behaviors, mm -hmm. cruel behaviors, aggressive behaviors, actually came out of a sense of insecurity and inadequacy. Mm -hmm. So adopting or realizing that God, godliness or sacredness of you, yourself mm. as a being, I imagine that would change your perspective about things. As opposed I, to yeah, makes sense. grabbing, ex exploiting, you're probably more giving and more caring, right? as opposed mm -hmm. to other behaviors driven, mm -hmm. driven by fear or sense of insecurity or competitiveness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because you are at ease with yourself if you were God then. Mm -hmm. Yeah, makes sense. So yeah, just to kind of a wrap up uh, this topic about Sheng Ren uh, in the Taoist sense, it seems to, you know, to to be a human being, you know, maybe we can summarize for our listeners and kind of distill from our discussions, you know, in addition to these characteristics that Lao Tzu tried to paint a picture around, just based on, you know, our discussion today and our realization from this discussion. So what is the essence? Of Shenren, if you kind of try to transcend those particular specific circumstances, 
my first reaction is depth. Depth. So okay. Depth, mm -hmm. because society is superficial. Society deals in superficialities, mm -hmm. and the Shangren goes deeper. The Shangren is looking for the deepest of depths, and it's a process and it's an exploration, and and we never exhaust it. We we die without plumbing the ultimate depths of that, but the Shangren is committed to that process of cultivating wisdom and virtue. Right, right. I would add two dimensions to it. One is the height. Maybe it's synonymous to transcendence. In other words, I would say Shengren is able to take a perspective of the sacred one or God, you, 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 you use the mm -hmm. word, and mm -hmm. not to see uh, him or self uh, opposing to what surrounds him or her, mm -hmm. not see the uh, opposing forces around us, but able to see the, how complementary these seemingly opposing forces. So in other words, there's a certain height of his or her vision or consciousness that rise above the fray, you know, the political, uh, you know, he or she can be in, in the middle of it, but the mindset wise is not uh, at the same level as everybody else. So the depth, the height, I would say the breadth too, because the mm -hmm. breadth in, encompasses so many, so many possibilities and potential. Uh, and also with that, it's all dynamic. So in other words, there's the kind of a diversity, uh, not in the sense of, you know, skin color or race or, right. but the superficial, superficial yeah. diversity, but the real diversity of being and how dynamic that be diverse being or beings are. So that kind of a expansion, expansive view. So the depth, the height, and the breadth. Mm -hmm. It seems that yeah, that Shengren has cultivated to the highest possible level. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that the breadth also come kind of going back to needing many Shengren that obviously anyone can be a Shangren by committing to cultivating those things. It's not exclusive to men or women or Asian people or white people or any, anything like that, that it's, it's, it's open to anyone. And we get that breadth through multiple people from different backgrounds becoming Shangren because that's how we broaden our, our perspectives. Shangren talking to Shangren who come from a different place. That's great. That's wonderful. That's what we're looking for. Great. Well, I, I've been enjoying uh, having this dialogue with you, Ian, and uh, really, I love it. And I'm sure we'll continue um, in our discussion in our future podcast. Be before we close, uh, actually, before we close, uh, I would like to um, acknowledge Shana, who uh, 
really uh, one of our uh, donors who supported us. Uh, it's really we were we were we are both very grateful for your support, and uh, also it gratifying us. It's gratifying us even more when we exchange email with you when you mention that uh, that we are we become your great companions on many long commutes, and. Uh, you know, Ian's reading of the Chinese text of the Tao Te Ching, uh, you know, sounds to you like uh, the Gregorian chant. You uh, will keep keep on uh, providing that soothing uh, uh, reading of the text. And uh, so uh, really, you know, at the end of the day, I, I think to you and to our listeners, we want to, you know, help any way we can to keep all of us grounded. Uh, in this uh, chaotic time of ours. Uh, thank you, Shana, so much for your support. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We make this podcast for you, and it's entirely listener-supported. If you find value in our discussion of Tao, please consider making a small donation at walkingthetimelessway.com. We also want to hear from you. Please write to us anytime via our website.